Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carvel and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is Connecticut Congressional Representative Rosa DeLauro. Now remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We're going to get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Real Paper, Lomi, and Beam, in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors because it helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. James, Trump wins the Iowa caucuses by 30 points. Uh, it strikes me as uh, much ado and countless stories and analysis about very little. Pretty much ended where it started. You know, I shook my head last weekend at stories that Nikki Haley was surging or one TV commentator declared Ron DeSantis just might win. No way. Once the renowned Ann Seltzer's poll came out last weekend showing Trump almost 30 points ahead, that was the final game set match. Now, I think a couple things it underscores. It underscores that Trump is the Republican Party now. Forty years after Franklin Roosevelt, he still was an heroic, heroic figure among Democrats. For Trump, Republicans, Reagan is Ronald Who. It was a sweeping victory among caucus goers in a very conservative state. But there were negative indicators, too. Uh, 49% voted for someone else. Uh, there were some questions that I think uh, should bother Trump a little bit among this hardcore group, a very conservative state. I, I don't think the low turnout is, is, is a big deal. There was a blizzard, sub-zero temperature, and wind chills of minus 25 but looking ahead, James, it's nearly impossible to stop Trump. The only shot, apart from a health issue, is to beat him, no close seconds, in New Hampshire next Tuesday. And we'll see if Chris Sununu has any chance to do for his candidate, uh, Nikki Haley, what Iowa governor, uh, evangelical leaders, and the Koch brothers failed miserably to do in Iowa. If Trump wins New Hampshire, the general election rematch begins. Well, I have an idea for the Iowa caucuses. Why don't you just do an Ann Seltzer poll the weekend before they have the caucus and just go with that as opposed to going to all the trouble and have people yeah. go out in the cold and go and do it? Because it, it, as it always was, it was as accurate as a poll could possibly be. And let me tell you, you got to be a really good poster to nail the Iowa caucuses. It's, it's not like trying to nail a general election where you have a lot of people vote or certain to vote or anything like that. Uh, I have a, a little more negative, well, maybe more than a little more negative Trump okay. take than you do. If it was a contested Democrat, any kind of contest, and it was Biden against any couple of three Democrats or one Democrat, and he got 51, it'd be the fucking end of days. I mean, I know we're dating ourselves and going back to Gene McCarthy in New Hampshire in 1968. He got 42%. That's a, in an old, white, now Republican state that an incumbent, and Trump is an incumbent, I'm sorry, he just is, can get only 51% against, by the way, which have turned out to be not overly impressive opponents. I mean, DeSantis is almost a laughingstock now. And Nikki Haley is, she's, you know, she's helium right. 
I mean, she's a real featherweight. And she looked decent on paper. DeSantis looked, you know, even better on paper. And they just had nothing. And Trump, and, and I don't know when you look at the entrance polls, I want to be careful to call them entrance polls. The third party is going to get a lot of fucking votes in 2024. I'm just telling you. It's just it's going to get a lot unless something really changes and uh, hard for me to see the change. But I, I was less impressed with this than most people. We're not that far apart, James. Um, but, you know, you said all along, the problem is they're voters. The Iowa caucus voters by 65 to 31 said Biden did not win the 2020 election. That is demonstrably false, of course. 60 court cases, recounts, internal and outside audits, election experts, many Republican state officials. It doesn't matter to these voters. Uh, and by the way, um, no, Trump has said, well, there were, there were uh, miscounts in a number of states. There was in Virginia. He was absolutely right. Uh, Biden got shortchanged. Uh, 1,600 and some yeah. votes, and Trump got 2,400 more than he should have gotten. So I hope uh, Trump will, uh, you know, um, apologize and note that Biden was the one that got screwed uh, there. It wouldn't have made any difference. Also, by two to one, these Iowans would consider Trump for the presidency, even if convicted of a crime. I mean, that would mean in America, every mama can tell her child, you can too, can grow up to be president, but first you got to be a felon. Uh, and I guess the one one bit of good news that came out of Iowa is it's the end of Vivek. He was just an annoying gnat. So, you know, I take some solace in that, James. Well, I, I, look, the only thing that's going to deal with this election denial are the actuarial tables. All right, but, you know, two to one, that, that's that, that's sixty six and two thirds to thirty three and yeah. a third, roughly. Man, you know, thirty three and a third of your own party is a pretty freaking big number. I mean, it, you you can look at it one or two ways. You know, you you can look at it, and I'm I mean, it's, but it, to, our, to our listeners, uh, viewers, you, you can look at it. He got he won by thirty, or you can look at it. He was won over fifty. All right, you can say, well, gee, by two to one, they believe this, and you go, well, that's an impressive number, but you know, one third is. It ain't chop liver. Uh, and, I mean, there is, there are substantial doubts among more than a sliver of the Republican Party about this guy. And how, of course, there's substantial doubt, to be fair, there are substantial doubts by more than a sliver of the Democratic Party that have their their doubts about President Biden. I, I just, for I just hard for me not to see a uninspiring election with the third party doing really well and, you know, and we got to do obviously everything possible to reelect Joe Biden. It's kind of a life mission here, but this is going to be a challenging. Well, endeavor. I think you're right. Potentially about a third party it depends on who it is. I don't think that, uh, uh, you know, Robert Kennedy will get votes, but I think he will, he will be yeah. less of a factor on November 1st than he is on September 1st. Uh, people will see through him. Uh, and uh, I don't know what No Labels is going to do. I don't know who they might run. I think it's a, you know, some of it's a scam. But, uh, you know, if they, I don't know, if they were to run Larry Hogan or they were to run, uh, you know, Joe Manchin, uh, they would probably get a, you know, a bunch of votes. But uh, my fear, of course, is if they do that, they're going to take more from Biden than they do from Trump. Yes. Yeah. Oh, true. But the, 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 and there's a lot you can say negative about no labels. I've said a lot negative about it. I, my own view is it's it's a grift. It's a, we don't that we don't disclose where the fundraiser that coming to the list. We got some billionaires getting together and giving a bunch of money, and we're not going to tell you who they are or how much they gave. But and we're a really fresh new party. Of course, I think the whole premise of it is pretty much staggering bullshit. However. The one thing you can't say is there's not a market for this because there is a market. And, if, you know, if it's no labels, if it's RFK, you know, his quirkiness and goofiness, you know, I, I can see that appealing to certain 
unenthusiastic voters. You know, Jill Stein wasn't much. She won in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin by more than Hillary lost by. Ralph Nader got, I don't know, 2% in Florida, cost Al Gore the election. You don't That's need right. much, and I think you're going to get – my view is you're going to get more than a little bit now. It, it, it um, My fear is it, it's going to – somewhat break away from us. I don't know that, but it's my great fear. But little, they're not going to get 3% of the vote. They're going to get a, a shitload more than that. And I may be as Perot was the case in 92. It, it didn't matter in the end. It, if he wouldn't, have, if he would have been in there, it'd have been the same result. That's pretty much studied to the nth degree. But you don't know. It's it's it's, it's a variable that that we don't exactly know how it's going to turn out. And if it turns out wrong, it's bye bye. Don't you think it's pretty hard to make a case, James, for any of the above mentioned figures that they're going to take more from Trump than they do from Biden? I I I do, Al, but. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's easier to see how they take more from Biden. You know, but that, that's now, I, I'd prefer that they didn't. I, I I agree with you. I'm not certain. No one can be. Uh, but it does seem like Trump's hard vote is more locked in than Biden's hard vote. And it seems that a lot of people that don't like Trump uh, or not a lot, but a, enough to decide an election that don't like Trump. So Republicans, a lean Republican, that probably be more comfortable voting for some kind of a third party. Yeah. I don't know that, but I do. I, I, I'm not totally sure I'm right, but it, I will say that I do agree with your, your, your conclusion. Well, it's on to New Hampshire, and I'll tell you personally, James, I am so sad because the first time in more than 50 years, I'm not going to be able to make the New Hampshire primary because of well, you know, I was I planning you on going, going, but my dear friend Joe Abramson is uh, under the weather, and I'm taking care of my wife who had a little bit of a spill, and it just seemed ill-advised. And, and it really, I mean, I don't. it's not because of the race. It's not because of the contestants. It's just because after 50 years, you know, you go and every town you go to, you say, hey, right. I've been here before, and I remember that little cafe around the corner or this bar. And, uh, you know, I find, uh, I, I love Ann Selzer and I love Michael Gartner, but I find New Hampshire a much more interesting place to cover if you're a reporter. Uh, well, and, and, and just so our viewers know that uh, your wife, Miss Judy, is going to oh, be fine. Oh, she's going to be right? fine. She's doing an interview uh, okay, today. And right. she's, okay. in, she's in good shape. Right. She's okay. in good shape. Right. You know why okay. she's that's in such good shape, James? More. I would say is because I've t taken such good care of her. Now, I don't think she would subscribe to that, but go. that's okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you the truth. I'm, with all that black ice and hidden ice and everything, I'm, I'm sort of glad you didn't yeah. know. It, it's... Well, it's really cold down here. I mean, really. Oh, yeah. You know, if I... I'm, I am scared to death. Oh, me ice. too. If I had gone, I got these new iCloud sneakers that I love. And I was going to wear my iCloud sneakers everywhere. I'm not worried about how how, how dressy you're going to be now. There's nothing better. iCloud or on cloud? Oh, maybe it's called on cloud. Let me check and I'll, I'll let you know. But God, yeah. they are great. Okay, because I'm on class all over. Well, it's probably on well, we can't get them sons of bitches to advertise with us. Yeah, absolutely. Two wearers, <laughs> two supporters. All right. right, James, we'll be we'll be reporting. Okay. Right, just one tip. One tip. If it's icy, wear golf shoes. They are literally a hundred percent effective. Yes, sir. Anytime that you go out and there's any possibility of ice, wear golf shoes. You're not good for wooden floors, but you can take them off. But they are as close to – somebody told me that, the, you know, 30 years ago. And you can just walk on sheets of ice and you can be fine. Terrific. Those are little spikes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just, just a little tip from a southern guy Man, about ice. Because that ice is scary and there's nothing there's nothing yeah, worse than a fall. It's just where they are. But, I mean, it just scares you half to death these days. Okay. All right, we'll be back next week to give you a full report on that New Hampshire primary and uh, whether the race is all over or not. It's critical. This part of the world, timber and paper making is a, is a 
big business. And it's very environmentally not good. And you cut these trees down, it takes a long time for them to grow back. They're carbon sinks. The other thing is the chemical process that goes into to making paper is quite complex and can be quite odious. I mean, if you're around a, a paper mill, I remember I was in Bugaloosa, and maybe they still have a big paper mill there. They did, and it, it stunk. And I asked somebody, does it always smell like this? And he says, you better damn hope so, because that's what our economy is based on. So paper seems like a benign thing. It's just paper. You, you, people read newspapers as much as they used to, but they do it. They get magazines, you get books, you get all kinds of stuff, uh, containers. And this, in, in toilet paper, is uh, the c- consumption of toilet paper remains constant throughout the world. And if, if we're going to beat this, it's going to be a product like real paper. It, it's, a, it's a sterlingly good product, and I, I, I think it's a product of the future. It sure is. Uh, you know, and with that in mind, 2024 is finally here, so it's time to enjoy two popular American pastimes, building new habits and silently complaining when you hear Happy New Year in late January. So when it comes to new habits, To improve your life and our planet, we have a great one. Switching to real bamboo toilet paper. If you're still using conventional toilet paper in your home, dump the stuff. That contributes to deforestation and switch to Reel's 100% bamboo toilet paper. Now, best of all, Reel is an easy resolution because once you make the switch, there's no more work. It's always shipped free to your door in plastic-free packaging. Plus, their hassle-free subscription comes right when you need it. You'll never have to worry about running out or forgetting it at the store. When you use Real, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing something to help the earth. It feels like an upgrade. It's so soft, so convenient, and once we started stocking our homes with it, we're not going to go back. A big reason is because bamboo is the perfect material for toilet paper. It's amazingly soft and strong, and because it regenerates like grass, you're not killing trees just to make something that you use once and flush down the drain. Reel also partners with One Tree Planted. That means every box of Reel that you buy funds reforestation efforts across the country. Other toilet papers cut down trees. Reel helps plant them. Now, real paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purchases on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping and 100% recyclable plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com slash warroom and sign up for a subscription using our code warroom at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash warroom or enter promo code warroom to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. So let's make a change for good this year and switch to real paper. Real is paper for the planet. You also can find the link to the deal in our show notes. James, our guest is the congresswoman from the 3rd District of Connecticut, the ranking Democrat on the Appropriations Committee, and perhaps the central player for the Democrats in the battle over government funding to avoid a ridiculous shutdown. First of all, Congresswoman, thank you for being with us. Um, Another shutdown looms Friday without congressional action. It seems a short-term extension is likely. But then you just fight it again in March, and this could go on all year. This is a hell of a way to run a railroad, much less the United States Congress. Um, am, am, am I right? And I guess on Friday, are the Democrats going to supply the necessary votes? Uh, well, first of all, let me just say good afternoon to the two of you, longtime friends. And I want you to know you guys have a war room. You can't see the sign here, but the Appropriations Committee has a war room, which we have been of. Uh, it's on the Democratic side of trying to fight this battle. Uh, we will have a short term uh, CR. Uh, there's been agreement by the House and the Senate, the leadership of the Appropriations Committee to move forward. And there are uh, two new dates. Um, I was never for this laddered approach. I believe what we should do all of the bills at one time, but we will do four bills uh, for March 
um, uh, 1st and the eight remaining bills on March on, on March 8th. I think which is wild and you're going to get it. We are essentially in the same place we were in May and June. It is the same top line that was negotiated by the president and former speaker McCarthy. Yes, there are some some changes which you know I, I I don't agree with, but we have a path forward to avoid a shutdown if the uh, uh, far right wing of the Republican conference uh, uh, doesn't try to tank it. Well, tell me if I'm wrong. I haven't covered the House in a while. So I understand the first vote is going to be under a procedure known as the suspension calendar, which requires two-thirds votes. The reason, I gather, is because you can't do it regular order because Kevin McCarthy put so many right-wing policy anarchists on the Rules Committee, which is Mm -hmm. supposed to clear bills. You can't go through regular order. I mean, first of all, is that right? And then I, uh, for two thirds, I assume, will the Democrats supply the sufficient votes? Uh, well, first of all, your, your, your issue on the, on the Rules Committee, you're, you are right on some of the members of the Rules Committee. But interestingly enough, as well as the, uh, uh, the, the far right folks on the Rules Committee, is the fact that they cannot get the votes for the bills that they have put forward. They, we defeated on the floor, this is Republicans and Democrats, defeated the agriculture bill. Four additional bills have had to be pulled from the floor because they could not get consensus. So yes, we will go to a suspension calendar. And what does that mean? You bet. Democrats will have to supply the votes to move forward uh, as, we, uh, as, we, as we have been doing. Uh, 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 that undid Kevin McCarthy. I don't know what the repercussions will be uh, for Johnson. Well, if they do try to do a McCarthy and unseat him, might Democrats this time rescue him? Well, you, you know, I mean, that's a scenario, but uh, may, maybe we all, all think about making uh, Hakeem Jeffries Speaker of the House. Boy. You not only could do worse, you have done worse. Uh, that would be a great, a great choice. Yeah, right. You know, I, 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 so, you, you know, it is like, but what, I, and both of you may know, or maybe you don't know, when the original budget agreement came out, uh, I was not forward. I would never have let the government default. The reason why I wasn't for it, because we were going to move toward sequestration again. We were going to move to serious cuts on the uh, domestic side. And as as chair of the or ranking member of the Appropriations Committee, I, I couldn't in good conscience fight for more if I had endorsed this. However, it's the law of the land. I said that there were a couple of issues re- regarding uh, the current agreement, which you know, I find troubling, and I so stated, we are cutting between what happened in May and June and now about $30 billion in cuts uh, to uh, COVID. Uh, 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 and the other thing is we take about $20 billion away from the IRS and their capability of going after the tax cheats, those cor- those uh, big corporations who pay no tax uh, at all. And then the last piece is what are called the riders. These are policy changes that don't belong in a spending bill. Just to give you an anecdote, when I negotiated the bill along with Pat Leahy and uh, uh, Dick Shelby and Kay Granger, Shelby and Granger said to Leahy and myself, we will not discuss any programmatic uh, issues unless you get rid of the writers. Uh, now, that is our position today. That's where Hakeem Jeffries is. That's where I am. And we have to get rid of those writers to try to move forward. So it remains to be seen. Those are still, those are still out there, uh, as are the unbelievable budget cuts that they tried to make in the past. So, and the, the writers are extraneous matters having nothing to do with spending to try to, you know, pursue, I guess in this case, the Republican Party's uh, uh, conservative base. That's right. No, well, it's that. It's their own a particular ideology, whether it regards LBGTQ issues or abortion issues. It's about their own, again, personal ideologies. That cannot rule the day. They need to be 
you know, we need to get rid of them so we can focus. But I'm going to remain an optimist. Let's push forward. Let's try to negotiate this, these bills as we did a year ago, December. And we came forward with a good bill for 2023. And so I, I have said, I will, uh, you know, you know what the four corners are. It's House and Senate and the leadership, Democrats and Republicans. I'll go to any corner you know, uh, to, to talk about this bill. I've been ready to do it for the last seven months uh, to be able to try to move forward because it's not about the process. You guys get this. It's about the services. The it's, service. about, it's about people. It's about people. It's about education. It's about health care. It's about mental health. It's about transportation, our national security, the whole nine yards. And with these guys on the far right, they don't know how to govern. More importantly, they do not want to govern. They want to bring the house down. James Carville. Oh, so uh, just a, a little history here, Rosa. Uh, but uh, viewers may not know this is Rosa's husband is the legendary Democratic post of uh, Stan Greenberg, who's one of my best friends. And Rosa and Mary always laughed at Stan and I like two gossiping old oh, women. Oh, yeah, they're talking. like two old women. It doesn't, you know, talking every day and gossiping. Yes. Yeah, we like sitting out on the, <laughs> sitting out on the stoop, you know, <laughs> after stuff. So uh, the f first time I met Rosa, just by way of back, Around 1988, I was a campaign manager for Frank Lautenberg, whereupon his chief of staff said, you know, the only reason that we hired you is we couldn't get Rosa Delora. And I said, oh, my God, who is Rosa? So you and I don't even remember this. We met in 1988. I think you were doing That's the right. tri-state area for, for Dukakis in, in New Jersey. So right. we, we, we go back a long way. So throughout most of our career <clears throat> and Al's career, because he's been covering it, the, the sort of mandatory every three-month story was Dems in disarray. And, uh, you know, with, with some with some validation, we were typically a not very disciplined party, and they were much more disciplined and started meetings on time. And that's completely reversed. And mm -hmm. you've seen it. You've seen it flip. What is What do you think is driving democratic unity right now that, that – that we did not have before any great length. And what is dri driving their disarrayness, if you will? Mm -hmm. Well, let me answer. First of all, I have, you should know, I, I have the most wonderful, wonderful memories uh, of, you know, being with James and with Mary and, uh, you know, with their kids when they were babies, you know. So this is, goes back a very, very long time. But, you know, I'll, I'll answer, James, your question at, about the, the disarray in the Republican Party. It, really, it confounds me that this small group of people are driving the train. Because I work with so many good people, Republicans on the Appropriations Committee. Tom Cole and I have had a very good relationship over the years, and we've worked bills together. Either I was chair or he was, and we moved forward. And it, it confounds me that there can't be an overwhelming response uh, to uh, their, their extreme madness. They'll say this to me personally, but that, I believe, comes from the fear of primaries, and that has to do with Donald Trump. And these people are in close contact with Donald Trump. So that I, I think, and, and so to the detriment of the Republican Party, which is in disarray, they can't really get there uh, from here. With regard to democratic unity, I, I think it's safe to say is that the issues at hand, I, I think quite honestly, it, it may be a maturation process, but Democrats, I think, have come to believe that is something that the Speaker uh, Pelosi would say all the time. And now uh, 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 Leader Jeffries talks about, you know, our, uh, our, our unity is our strength. Our unity is our strength. And the, the, the belief that the direction that they want to take this country is unacceptable. And people are willing to, to stand up, even if there is disagreement, even if there is a disagreement, that we 
move together. Uh, And that comes, I think it comes from the leadership that we've had, as I said, both in in, uh, Speaker Pelosi and and now in our leader, Hakeem Jeffries, who is doing a masterful job. By the way, I would just add this in terms of holding the line on that top line number, the the $1.6 trillion. Republicans uh, went to uh, Jeffries and they wanted to move that down to 1559. Uh, Hakeem said no. He also, uh, when they came to 1630, 1.6, he said no. So they have, they were, they did not come forward with any cuts to the top line. And that is the result of standing tall and standing firm and understanding that that's what we need to do. So uh, one more question, Rose, and we'll let you go. It, it's no doubt this thing is really close. They have, I don't know, two votes now. They're going to lose New York three. I mean, that, that's going to affect that total, but it'll give us one more closer to, to 218. What do you, let's assume this thing kind of collect, you know, that they need Democratic votes to keep the speaker. What do you think the Democrats would ask before they would go along for something like that? Just roughly, what would be in the ballpark? Sure. No, I think that's a legitimate question. Um, first of all, you should know that right today, they just have a functional majority uh, with uh, Steve Scalise out. That's 218. They have 218. Steve right. Scalise is out, and I hope he's doing well. But Congressman Rogers uh, was in a car accident, so he isn't here. He's still hospitalized, but I wish him a speedy recovery. He's been a, he's been a, good, he's been a good ally. Well, look, I, w- I would just say, first of all, you, you, you want our votes? Let's take a look at um, how we look at our community projects. What kind of additional funding can we get that? Because, excuse me, for the, uh, uh, they, they screwed us uh, uh, in, in this last go round. They made it a political process rather than what I tried to do is to make it equitable for Democrats and, and Republicans. Uh, the ability to move forward uh, in terms of, you know, what I find to be non-negotiable in the uh, uh, in our deliberations is that we have a shortfall of a billion dollars in the WIC program. Uh, that should be non-negotiable. That would mean if they uh, uh, kept that uh, kept us from doing a billion dollars, that would be that two million women, infants, and children uh, would be uh, let go. So it, it is all of the. It, it is being able to fundamentally with appropriations bills, unless you have House and Senate, Democrats and Republicans. It's bipartisan. Bicameral. That is the, the 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 template, so that the president can sign the bill. That we don't see any more of these uh, partisan bills with all of these riders in it, so that we can move forward and get the job done that the American people sent us uh, to to do here. Uh, uh, it's and I would also say equal representation on committees. You need Democrats to govern, then give us equal power. So, Congressman, before I, I said I have one more, though, you are the foremost congressional expert, maybe the foremost expert there is on food stamps. Would you just give us a maybe 45-second riff on why we should care about food stamps and why they're such an integral part to life in America? Absolutely. You know, as, as strange as this may sound to people, we have a hunger crisis in the United States. A, a, a nation that has an abundance of food, and yet I could give you my district. Connecticut statistically is the richest state in the country. That's because of Fairfield County, and yet in my district, the third district of Connecticut, one out of seven people do not know where their next meal is coming from. The food stamp program has been the single biggest uh, 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 antidote to hunger in the United States. And as McGovern and Dole, Democrat and Republican came together to understand that this was a challenge then, it is a challenge now that we have. And uh, that is why we should understand. And I'm just gonna add one more piece to this. When we had the child tax credit as part of the rescue plan for that just one year, First of all, we uh, uh, 
decreased child poverty. We lifted almost half the children in this country out of poverty in the United States. And we lowered the hunger rate to uh, by a quarter. Since they pulled the uh, child tax credit, hunger has gone beyond 26%. And we've seen child poverty increase in this country from 5.2% to 12.4%. The food stamp program works. People don't stay on it forever. It gets them the food that they need to take care of their families. And that's why it is so critically important and fundamentally important to who we are as a nation. It is about the values that we have. That's why it's important for us to continue. Thank you, Albert. Thank you well, so much, Congressman. Uh, you mentioned the child tax credit. As you know, two committee chairs, a Republican yes. in the House, a Democrat in the Senate, have agreed in a deal to get more business tax cuts, but also to get much of the enhanced uh, child tax credit, which never, never uh, should have been cut back uh, for poorer children. But mm -hmm. I gather it faces a tough slog. You bet, as it should face a tough slog, Al. Let me just tell you. I've been very, very vocal on this. Child tax credit worked beyond anyone's imagination. And I gave you some of the pieces on it. Let me just quickly characterize this agreement. And, and quite frankly, uh, 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 Chairman, uh, 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 well, Ranking Member on Ways and Means in the House, Richie Neal, has not endorsed it. Uh, the uh, uh, Senate, uh, 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 Crapo has not endorsed it. Uh, what it does, it... It, it, it fails children and families. It gives the biggest tax breaks uh, to the uh, biggest corporations. And as I said before, many of these corporations pay no taxes. It's about a four to one. It's about $4 to the corporations, a dollar to kids. It is no full refundability. It is not on a monthly basis that they, they are doing it. And we are short changing kids. Uh, and I, I, we know what the statistics are. It's unbelievable. Well, I, I think your critiques are absolutely on the mark, uh, but uh, and there are certainly deficiencies in it. But isn't it better than current law as far as children are concerned? You know what, Al? I, I've been doing this for a long time, as you have. Don't tell me over and over again, whether it is when we look at the budget agreement that, and I've come from a defense dependent state, defense get $886 billion, uh, the domestic priorities get uh, 704 with gimmicks to, to, to move that number up. And we have to give up $30 billion on COVID and we have to give up money for the IRS to do their job. You know what, getting, making the fight, Al, it is not a question of something is better than nothing. We, this is a trade-off. I, I concur that there are some, there are some things here that, that moves. We lifted 3.8 million kids out of poverty. We're talking about 400,000. We're talking about Mr. Smith, Jason Smith in an article today talks about locking in $600 billion, which means these folks are going for permanence on the, on the, uh, on these tax bills and uh, credits. And you, you want to play fair? It's $116 billion to make the child tax credit permanent. It is a fraction of the $600 billion. In many cases, it's not about that something is better than nothing. It is about making the fight to get as much as you can, because to go back to what James was saying earlier, you need 200, you need Democratic votes to get you across the finish line. That is still the case. And we're, I'm going to continue to fight on this basis until we either get more on this and push the edge of the envelope, because that has got to be who we are. And this is the antidote to poverty. We found that out. And it is also part of who we are. And it's about what our values are in trying to keep lift kids out of poverty in this country. No better fighter than Rosa DeLauro. Final yep. question from me. In this yes. Congress, you've dealt with two Republican speakers, Kevin McCarthy and Mike Johnson, both conservatives. Are they different? No, they are not different. They are not different. It is, you know, it is, um, no. They're coming from the, the same, um, they're coming from the same set of principles, if you will, and uh, I've heard 
uh, uh, Speaker Johnson say in the meeting that he would support the budget agreement. And he is was not there again. He did the top line, but these are other areas. Is he going to take take the riders off the table as he should? No, he is fearful of the 15, 20, whatever that number is of those folks, I guess, who hold his fate in their hands. And uh, I, well, yes, I was pleased that he said he wasn't going to walk away from that, that, that agreement, but they are cut from the same piece of cloth as far as I'm concerned. James, you want to wrap this fast? I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up because you and I talked and we thought that, that Rosa would be the perfect guest for this time. And I got to give ourselves credit. We miss a lot. We were 100% dead on. And Congressman, uh, please go and do your job with the appreciation and respect of not only the host of this show, but I'm sure every every person who's listening here has ultimate admiration for your tenacity, your, your brilliance, and, and your legislative skills. So thank you so much for being on here. We so admire and so respect you, and I know you're busy. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Love you both, and you keep on. War room is good. Let's All go. Right. Soldier on. Thanks, right. Rosa. Good deal. Thank, thank you. you. Lomi is the key to living sustainably. Here we got Mardi Gras coming, so that's even anything. That's more consumption-oriented than even Christmas, New Year, whatever the December holidays are. And then, of course, that's right on top of that. It's coming Easter on top of that. It's coming Memorial Day on top of that. It's coming the 4th of July on top of that. It's coming Labor Day and then back into whatever. So, yes, it's it, you, you, I don't care how hard you try. All of us, I think all of us, a lot of us are guilty of overconsumption and having too much waste. And it's something to feel guilty about. And this is something that will actually do good for the world and make you feel a little yeah. bit less guilty. You know, what if ordinary people, just like you and me, are we ordinary, James? I think so. I hope so. Could change the world with a push of a button. Meet Lomi. The world's first kitchen appliance designed to turn your home into a climate solution by transforming your food scraps into nutrient-rich plant foods. I'm going to tell you as an aside, our boss, he has a Lomi he loves, and, and, and the bucket's broke. And he called Lomi, and the next day, the next day, they, they, they arrive new buckets. That's the kind of service they provide. Lomi has incredible customer service. Yeah, yeah, they do. I get it. I'm thinking something can go wrong. Any moving part can, but that, that's a, that, yeah, like a great company. I'm very glad to have Lomi on our, our side. You know, now that we've invested in our Lomis, it's changed the way we deal with food waste. We've been around for a long time, and we're convinced Lomi is the biggest innovation in modern-day kitchen since the dishwasher. It's a smart and simple solution to turn food scraps into plant food in just four hours. Now, Lomi transforms almost anything you eat into a nutrient-rich plant food at the push of a button. That means you'll cut the chore of taking out the trash in half and eliminate bugs and odors in your kitchen. If that's not enough, here's a bonus. You get to feed your lawn and garden with all natural fertilizer that you just created out of your food scraps. Thanks to Lomi, it feels like we're almost never taking the long, cold walk out to the garbage cans. And our lawns are looking better than ever. Your kitchen will look great, too, thanks to Lomi's modern and sleek design. We feel great knowing we're doing our part for the planet since the day we got ours. And now Lomi's new app lets you track your environmental impact, earn points for every cycle, and redeem for freebies from Lomi and other great brands. It's great to get rewarded for doing good. You know, you need one in your home. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash Warroom and use the promo code Warroom to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I.com slash Warroom and use promo code WARROOM at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. You also can find the link in our show notes. You know, and now for the outrage of the week. James, we both have dear friends who are Texans. 
Your partner and longtime pal, Paul Begala, my childhood and still close friend, Dr. Bill Kimball. But while Texas may have the most disreputable political leaders in the country, I thought the worst probably was the Attorney General Ken Paxton, but under state indictment and a federal investigation spurred by his former aide, peached by the Texas House and only escaped conviction in the Senate when hypocritical evangelicals came to his defense. The Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is really awful, too. He's warned that LGBTQ rights will lead to bigamy, pedophilia, and incest. But don't count out Governor Greg Abbott. He was one of 15 governors who rejected extra food assistance this summer for poor kids without a school lunch program. To be sure, there are serious migrant problems on the border, but Abbott prefers demagoguery to solutions. Three Mexican migrants drowned when the Texas border agents sent by the governor wouldn't allow more experienced U.S. border agents into the area to try to rescue the women and little children. Abbott professes that a deep Catholic faith guides all his political and governing decisions. James, uh, I prefer the humanitarian Catholicism of Pope Francis. Well, uh, you're right, but there is another brand of Catholicism out there personified by one of the great assholes to ever live, Cardinal Raymond Leo Burke. And you got to understand, with these people, with Greg Abbott and, and a lot of these quote, evangelicals, unquote. The cruelty is the point. It's not a byproduct of their policy. It's actually what they want. And to not understand that is not to understand this, this, I don't call these people religious, these theocrats, these right-wing theocrats, because that's just what they are. But you're right. So... Mild rage is, there's always an ongoing argument is, is the DNC just useless or is it actually counterproductive? Well, the counterproductive side got a boost here. I'm reading from a site called Mediaite that I go to, you should too. It's pretty, it, it, and one of these kind of aggregator sites. The Democratic National Committee kicked off a firestone condemnation Tuesday of a snarky press release roasting former Governor Asa Hutchinson's R exit from the 2024 GOP primary. And the news comes as a shock to those of us that could have sworn he'd already dropped out, said DNC spokesman, I'm not going to say a name, or embarrass the poor young person, in a statement reacting to Hutchinson spending his campaign after the Iowa caucuses, all right? At the, at the, t- the people that have been critical of this are two people that we think a lot of. Brendan Boyle, who said, I'm disciplined disappointed by the state of DNC while Governor Hutchinson conserves and holds many views which I disagree. I've admired the way he's courageous spoken out. Also, our friend John Hallwood referred to it as juvenile, idiotic, and counterproductive. Okay, so I know Asa Hutchinson, not well, but run into him three or four times. He's a perfectly uh, affable guy. He was governor. He was, you know, could say he did a lot of right-wing stuff. I don't know if he was any more right-wing than he had to be being an Arkansas Republican. He had something that the Democratic Party lacks. He had the goddamn balls to get out there to expose himself to what was going to be almost certain humiliation and as opposed to saying, gee, man, you, you know, you actually had the guts to do something that no one in our party had the guts to do. And we ought to salute this guy. I wouldn't vote for him. But what the fuck is the DNC wasting their time and breath mocking Asa Hutchinson for? I, I don't know what these people do. I have no idea. But I, on the, the, the useless uh, our harmful side, uh, the harmful side gets a, a, a big boost by this idiotic statement that they issued on, on government. I agree. Hutchinson. And Asa Hutchinson is a good, decent guy. And, uh, you know, he uh, it's just it, it says something about the DNC. It says something about the Democratic Party. Everybody got the guts to go out there and do anything. But go ahead.
When I need a good night's sleep, I drink a cup of beans. There's a reason that it works. It's not accidental. And, you, you know, you like something hot at night, particularly from this time of year. I mean, it's actually really cold down here. It's like we got down to like 20 or 19 degrees last night. And, you know, you, of course, you can't drink coffee. And what a great nightcap. And this stuff has things in it that that help you go to sleep. Uh, in you know how big we are on sleep on this program. We're big sleep pro That's sleep for people. sure, because sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. And when you're sleeping well, you can perform at your best, mentally and physically. Proper sleep can also increase focus, boost energy, and improve your mood. Introducing Beam's Dream Powder, a science-backed, healthy hot cocoa for sleep. Dream has, has been a game changer for sleep. I love knowing that all it takes is one delicious cup of beam before going to bed and you'll be sleeping like a baby, ready to take on the day ahead. And today our listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their science-backed, healthy, hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. There's tons of delicious flavors like chocolate, peanut butter, oh yes, cinnamon cocoa, and sea salt caramel. They're only 15 calories with zero grams of sugar. I like to have a different one every night, although I lean to the peanut butter. It's always a treat, and now wanting better sleep no longer keeps us up at night. Other sleep aids can cause next-day grogginess, but Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi extract magnesium, L-theatine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. The numbers don't lie. In a clinical study, 93% of participants reported Dream helped them get better sleep. Now, how great is that, James? It's really good. I mean, like I say, anytime you can combine something that, that tastes good that you really got a little hunger for late at night, you know, but you don't want to fill up, and it, this stuff is this stuff is golden, just golden. Yeah, it really is. Beam Dream is easy to add to your nighttime routine. Just mix Dream in the hot water and milk, froth, and enjoy before bed. You'll find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash warroom and use the code warroom at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash warroom and use the code warroom for up to 40% off. You also can find the link in our show notes. And now for our listener questions, James. Boy, do we have great listeners, smart. Uh, first one is from Brian in Long Island who says, border issues represent a real threat to Democrats in 2024. What rebuttal can I offer? What might be listened to? Oh, God, is this guy right? And I – now they're saying, you know – they're trying to get some kind of border bill. Obviously, there's a funding issue here. The Congress allocates the funds. I'm not sure that the Republicans don't want to keep non-allocating the fund because it is, to some extent, a manpower problem down there. Uh, I'm going to El Paso for an event, I think, in toward the end of middle or late February. I'm going to try to find out more about this issue. But I would be the first to confess I am not as informed about this as I need to be. And what it does is when you see it and you look at the numbers, it, it just people have a sense of disorder and disorder never, ever helps the right. incumbent party, ever. No, I think you're right. We've also said that we're going to get a guest on who can really, you know, not not bring an ideological perspective, it, but really tell us what this is, right. what this is all about. We got we got to probe this. I, I think it has something to do with three point six percent unemployment. That's too, why they come here, right? And they no, want to, no. you know, we're better. Next is from Anita uh, in Vermont. Now, Anita, next time tell us where you're from in Vermont. It's a small state population wise, but a lot of little towns. Uh, so let us know. But she says from now to November, can you just ask everyone in the media to call him the criminal candidate, please. It's what he is. It's what he is, Anita, uh, but, you know, he's got to be convicted before you can, can you know, say it with, uh, you know, some some uh, some persuasion. But uh, I think one of the great 
unanswered questions of this campaign is will Trump go to trial before, you know, midsummer? Because if he doesn't, it's probably too late and he's doing everything he can to uh, drag his feet, procrastinate, uh, uh, just make sure that he doesn't go to trial because he figures after the trial, if he's elected, you know, he'll he'll pardon himself. So it's a really critical question, Anita. So, Anita, we're, we're, this is 1 o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday. You will listen to this show tomorrow morning. That I think they posted at 8 o'clock. If you go to the Drudge Report, and I think it'll still be up, there's a story that talks about Trump having hand cuts, and you can link to it. They don't look like cuts to me. They look like sores. And I've asked a number of MDs what medical condition manifests itself through hand sores, and the answer is immediate and unanimous, secondary syphilis. All right, I think, that, I think there's a good chance this man has to clap. And I'm not being particularly secretive about it. I am texting the photo, you can link to it. It's in some operation called a Daily Mail. It's some British thing. It's probably a Fleet Street rag, but, you know, maybe the picture was doctored or whatever, but I, maybe this story will go somewhere. Maybe it won't, but I'm telling you, at 1 o'clock Eastern, I'm humping this thing like a young dog on old furniture. <laughs> Tom, in Ocean City, New Jersey, asked you, James, now that Chris Christie has left as a Republican, uh, I doubt he's going to sit idly by. So you think he's a prime no-label presidential candidate against Trump? He might be. You know, when one thing that I do know for life in politics and, and just seeing people love the light. All right? And this guy was governor. He was pretty successful in being elected twice Republican governor in New Jersey. is a, is a pretty substantial political feat. And he was got a lot of attention. And I, I like him, but but everybody likes the light. And no labels is not going to have trouble recruiting anybody because they got something that people love, the light. And he could be. Uh, if he is, he probably would hurt us more than some other people. But I got to tell you, you know, I worry much less about Larry Hogan than I would a Chris Christie or Liz Cheney. And the reason I say that is they just have a much higher profile and can tend to be more attractive to, you know, never Trump type of Republicans and moderates. So, but I don't know that. It's just conjecture. But uh, I, I never underestimate the power of the light. Well, you're right. I, I think well, that'll be the great uh, internal conflict because I think he really does, partly out of guilt, uh, feel strongly about Trump. I, I really became persuaded listening to him that he really knows that Trump is an evil man. And, um, you know, I, I think he would – it would only add to that guilt were he to run and help re-elect Trump or help elect Trump rather. But uh, he, do, he does love the light. You know, James – one thing about politics is when it's your moment, seize it. Chris Christie could have run in 2012 and gotten the Republican nomination, I believe, and maybe even beaten Obama. But he didn't. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, the right. next question is from Mike in Annapolis, Maryland. What a great town. Does oh, wow. President Biden wow. have any political advisors around him who can tell him to stop taking questions from the press after random events? Those situations seem to generate really poor looks for him that play into the stereotype of an old man. Well, let me start by saying something nice. I, I don't know if there's a, I guess, a city or town in America that's like nicer than Annapolis. I mean, oh, it's, it's, right got, <laughs> it's not very big. It's very proximate to Washington. It has the Naval Academy. It has a state capital. It has like great restaurants. It's very navigable, I guess Go you on the would water. say. I, 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 I just, I, I, I think Annapolis is one of the, the great towns in America, one of my favorite state capital cities. I can't say, I can't say enough uh, nice about your hometown. Um, you know, at some point, they, Biden has to come out. I, the big question is, and I appreciate your question, he take questions after or when he's tired on a foreign trip. What are they going to do about the debates? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a question that they got to be mulling around. And, you know, of course, uh, 
Trump, I'm still, by the way, y'all going to laugh and laugh at me and everybody's going to mock me. I'm still not 100% convinced he's going to be that nominee. I, I think there's something wrong with this guy. I think the stress, the legal stuff, the everything else is, I think there's some chance that, do I think it's a, a 90% chance? Yes, but there's, there's a, a 90% chance he'll be the nominee. That that was now, that he'll be but there's a 10% okay, chance he okay. won't. All right. I mean, it, it won't be through voter intervention. It'll be through be the health of or mental or nervous breakdown. Man, the pressure that he is under is that he goes from Iowa. He could, I watched him. He was so exhausted. He was dragging his foot. And now he's in a courtroom in New York and they just trashing the crap out of him. Judges tell him about to sit down and shut up. His legal team is in disarray. I mean, this guy is you just you cannot underestimate the, the, how devastating legal stress is. I've seen people go through it. By the way, most people, everybody I've seen go through it was pretty was innocent to start with, but it doesn't matter. He's guilty of everything. He's guilty of everything. And this this guy, if if you're a Trump hater and you like schadenfreude, well, you got to be feeling pretty good right now because he's got a lot to feel bad about. Yeah, no, I, no, I think you're right. Um, <clears throat> Marty in Wilmington, Delaware, ask you, uh -huh. James, says, I admire Kamala Harris, but she seems to be kept in the background. Does Biden campaign consider Kamala to be a hindrance? You know, it's the one thing that we can say without getting too deep. They were reluctant to have her in 2020. I, th I think we can say that's a fact. And I do think that there is something that, that as a, 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 a female or as, you know, a, a female of color, uh, I, I think that presents its own unique challenges. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, typecasting or, or, or whatever. I think that's all kind of valid. Having said all that, she's not the most skilled political person that, you know, she's not even the top quarter of skilled political people. She she's a very bright woman with a with a, with a good background, but it, it, they sure don't. Whatever it is, they they're not they're not overusing her. If she was a pitcher, she'd be you know leave her an effort inning and a half, but not yeah. much more. And she <clears throat> she does not appear to have grown in the job. Maybe some of her supporters say that's the some, White House fault. You know, the, I, I hear some. Pretty reliably that she's growing. I, I, I have to say that. I, I, maybe you don't see it in public, but her internal position in the White House, I think it's safe to say over the last year. Well, you got to see it in public, James, because Republicans do use her as an argument, uh, saying basically that Biden is an I, old I, man, I, and my God, you think he's bad, where do you get Kamala? So if if that's right, right. and she is growing, it that, needs to be that, clear to the public very soon. Right. That's, that's, uh, I'm not sure they know what you know, the best way to do it, do you just act like it doesn't exist? Do you put it out there and do more? I don't know, and I suspect they're going through these positions, but I am comfortable in saying I'm pretty confident that her sta internal stature is up. Now, whether they use her more externally or not, I don't know. they got a lot of big decisions to well, make. Well, yeah, um, that's a really important them. question, though. Right, right. It is. And I, I, very, very, very good question to bring up. Definitely worthy Thank of Thank you, Marty. About. We, uh, Larry, from across the pond in Stratford-upon-Avon, UK. Everyone's right. there. Good guy right uh, across yeah, the Billy something, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. I don't know. I mean, he ain't James Carville, but what the fuck? <laughs> uh, Larry uh, wants to know if it was tactically smart to push RFK Jr. out of the Democratic Party by preventing his challenge to Biden in the primary. They didn't push RFK Jr. out. I mean, really, he, he knew what he was getting into. Uh, he, uh, he, he made the decision that he was better off running as an independent because he got beaten uh, in the primaries. I, I don't know if it was a right decision or not, but I spent all my adult life uh, at some point or another covering the Kennedys. And one thing you always said, they were, they were politically smart 
and you agree or disagree with them, you knew they were capable and they had capable people around them. Uh, I would not say that about RFK Jr. Well, I can tell you two things that you're not going to see, I promise you, are Trump's health records, both physical and mental, or Bobby Kennedy's health records, both physical and mental. You will, they will never see the light of day. The, the question with, with RFK Jr. is, does all of the negative stuff, does that make 3%, 5% of the people more likely to vote for him? I don't know. But he's totally funded by the right. He's always on Bannon's show and Hall and Crow and that whole thing. And it's one thing to say he's kind of a pathetic figure, but it's another thing is he could do major damage to the country. Yeah, no. Just good. No, he's, um, and he's certainly been disowned by most members of his family, at least. At least yeah, yeah it's not the family doesn't, you know, you know what uh, Bob Casey wants to tell me, he says, you know, James, you, you, you you, you can pick your friends, you, you can pick your f- spouse, but you can't pick right. your relatives. Right, no. Always stuck it's with It's true. Um, James, finally, Jeff in St. Pete Beach, Florida, says it's the never right. Trump, never Biden voters that are going to usher Donnie into the White House, just like 2016. Never Trump, never Biden voters defined here. He, I, I don't get some of this as the Stennies, the Westies, the JFKers, the no-label clowns, and the Bernie bro. Uh, I get his overall point, if not all the particulars. Is there a way to stop them from throwing the election? Yeah, I, I, you know, first of all, the guy may be right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, but the only thing we can do is try to make Trump as unacceptable. My idea is to use mockery and humor. I still think it's worthy of, a, of exploration because not much else has, has worked great. I think the, the legal pressure and everything on him is going to make it increasingly difficult. But, dude, we got no choice. We got to get behind Joe Biden and, and do everything we can to convince people that, that Trump is a pathetic comic incompetent, criminal, I don't know what else you could call him, figure. But, but it, it, I don't discount what you said is, is a, unfortunately too real a possibility. Yeah, and I'd remind everybody out there, if you're thinking of not voting or voting for a third-party candidate, that a year from this coming no, Saturday, someone's going to be sworn in as the next president of the United Dude. States. And if you're thinking of either of those <laughs> options, just think of the picture of Donald Trump standing right, up right. there again. So, okay, right. th- those questions are terrific. If we didn't get to yours, we'll get to it next week. And so thank you, James. We are so lucky to have those kind of, uh, those kind of listeners. Yeah, we sure are. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carvel and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Now, following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Real Paper, Lomi, and Beam in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting them because when you do, you help make this podcast happen. Now, to keep up with us, Subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, you also can find other shows you might enjoy on the Politicon YouTube channel or when you search Politicon on your favorite podcast sites. And remember, please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done.